Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DK Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DK Witness. And welcome to Where to Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And where are we off to today, Lucy? Well, we're staying very close to home, James. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very close to home. Very, very close, yeah. We're in Great Britain. (laughs) We're in Great Britain, yeah. Um, uh, So, listener, before you think that we're going to try and cover the whole of Great Britain in one episode and we've gone completely out of our minds, this is a little bit of a special episode on Great Britain. So we are very much in particular looking at uh, sort of wildlife and conservation in Great Britain because, listener, if you are... Brit and you'll have experienced like the kind of pandemic in the last couple of years where we haven't really been able to go out and travel you will have probably have certainly seen a little bit more of your backyard and I think um, that has kind of like really solidified how special our kind of like wildlife and ecosystems are for people so we thought it would only be right given we're focusing on sustainability and kind of seeing more in a sort of eco-conscious way this season to to have a look at Great Britain to see it from a different angle and to particularly celebrate its kind of natural beauty and charms so we have a very special guest who is going to do exactly that lucy who have we got so we have got lizzie welsh-born lizzie daly is a wildlife biologist tv presenter filmmaker and explorer working on productions with the likes of the bbc and national geographic lizzie has conducted research and made wildlife films all over the world from tagging elephants in kenya to filming humpback whales underwater in arctic norway today lizzie is guiding us through the natural world of our home country great britain so welcome lizzie hello welcome welcome lizzie hello it's great to have you on the podcast uh so to start off with we're going to learn a little bit more about you lizzie uh followed by the all important recommendations of where to go and insider knowledge of great britain's wild landscapes then we'll hear lizzie's tips on traveling responsibly around the country (laughs) 
So Lizzie, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but what was it that made you want to become a wildlife biologist? Yeah, I, I've been asked this uh, quite a few times, but <laughs> I'd say... We I'll, love an original question. Yeah. <laughs> so, the reason it's, it's an interesting question is because I seem to always go to different answers. I feel that there's, there was never like one moment where I was sat in my garden and I kind of went, yeah, this is it. I want to be a, a wildlife biologist. I knew I wanted to study elephants when I was six. Oh. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, it was just... <laughs> Uh, I think I was just fascinated by them, you know, like like you are when you're you're that age, you you're curious and you want to mm. know everything there is to know mm. about your surroundings. And yep. I remember learning about elephants and just being like that. I don't know what that job is, but I want to be with elephants and and understand how they function, how they behave, how they and that I think that's what's kind of driven this this need to you know mm. go into science and and be a biologist is, is that curiosity more than anything and that's very much been translated in every aspect of what I do now whether it's filmmaking mm. or in my kind of scientist role yeah yeah very good answer um <laughs> I'm really intrigued about all the other answers as well <laughs> and <all of> that. <laughs> but um, and, and when you were growing up you mentioned about that kind of curiosity uh, were there places growing up that sort of sparked your sense of adventure that kind of really got you thinking I want to sort of travel the world see different places see different wildlife definitely I'd say on my doorstep the Welsh coastline mm. it, it played a mm. big part in that for me yeah and I think just uh we I and I am obviously part of this you know for work it's the elephant in the room I travel all across the world to document these stories which is an important part of it but actually when I come home and experience these wildlife encounters and explore these environments that are just as epic and just as engaging as, you know, far-flung remote corners of the planet. It's, I get a real buzz. And that's yeah. what Wales has, has really given me over the years. It's um, the Pembrokeshire coastline was a big part of mm. that. And there's a few islands off of, the, off of Pembrokeshire called Skoma and Skokum Island. And I remember sat on the coastline looking at, before I even visited the island, just being like, mm. what is on that island? <laughs> and it's, it's even if you think about the position of where we are in Wales, you know, we have... Uh, we have the Irish Sea, uh, Britain, with so much yep. life bringing over all sorts of marine life and exciting things. And you look out to sea, you're on the edge of what feels like the edge of the world, standing on Skoma or along that coastline. It's just, oh, it's just magical. And um, yeah, it's home to some of the most biodiverse hotspots in the UK, in Great Britain. So it's a great place to grow up. Fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to know what was on the island when you actually got <laughs> there. What, 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 what did you actually... Nothing. Nothing what, at all. No, I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was no wildlife. Everything had died. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, that, for me, and I, I have such a soft spot for Skoma because it's brilliant for so many different reasons. It's home to some of our largest colonies of seabirds to start with. So species like the Atlantic puffin, oh. razorbills... Mm. Um, You've got uh, well guillemots in the in the thousands. You've got uh, mm. colonies of of gulls, which actually nest on the island, but a lot of people don't give gulls a lot of a lot of time. But you've got species like uh, black-legged kittiwakes, which are um, a species that's been rapidly declining over the years. And it's this mm. kind of it's this stronghold of well, that, that's only the seabirds. You've got then all the jellyfish, <laughs> the porpoise surrounding the islands, the dolphins, the the number of oh, wow. whale encounters and shark encounters I've had around that stretch of water. 
it's huge over the years. And if you combine it all together, suddenly you've got this pristine example, which has been established as a marine conservation zone for well over 30 years. You've got this fantastic example of what happens when you let nature do its thing. Mm. And yeah. um, wow, it's like, it's this, it's this special place. And if you haven't been, you need to go to Skoma. <laughs> sold. Sold. Oh, yes, sold. absolutely. Two <laughs> tickets. Off. That's the podcast yeah. over. We, we were done here. That's fine. <laughs> Part two is in the field. In, in <laughs> Lizzie, obviously you've had a really prolific career. Do you have highlights aside from, I mean, that sounds like a highlight in itself, but kind of what have been some of your sort of favourite wildlife experiences across your career well uh i don't know where to start i'd say basically you know you have your your list of your bucket list encounters species that you always have loved to love to see and that includes Mm. um you know gray nurse sharks for example which i think are a fascinating species i don't know how much you guys know about gray nurse sharks but nothing absolutely Well, they, they, the females, they aggregate around these kind of these pinnacles, these underwater rocks, and they all just gather in big numbers. And it's called a gestation aggregation. So they'll just kind of literally hang in the water column in, you know, numbers of 20, 30, 50 uh, in the right sites, just being pregnant and eating and <laughs> wafting through the sea. And uh, last month we were filming a new series uh, about marine stories and climate change. And it was one of the most surreal moments because the more still you are, the more likely you're, you're literally going to blend in with your environment and blend mm. in with these sharks. So next thing you know, you're in this like traffic jam of grey nurse sharks and they have these like really curious like faces. They've got kind of these beady eyes and then these teeth that kind of stick out all over the place. And small mouths, they'll only eat, you know, fish as big as their mouths really, nothing, yeah. nothing bigger. And you sink down into this gloomy sea and there you are just like hanging out with these grey nurse sharks. And they're all just checking you out and just, oh, that for me was most recently one of my favourite encounters. But I would say, and I am going to link this back to the UK because it's still one of my favourite things to see in the UK is is orca up in Shetland Mm. uh, in Great Britain. And um, the reason that those encounters are so special is because, A, a lot of people don't realise we have these big charismatic species like orca here in our seas. But B, it's the people. It's the it's the excitement and connection that you get with the people who have these first encounters and, you know, hear the first blow of an orca or watch them behave in a certain way or hunt. And um, I get an absolute buzz from that. Really, really do. So, yeah, I'm oh so very lucky to have encounters all over the world. But again, you know, we really do have some brilliant, brilliant wildlife to offer here. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And just finally on this section, um, are there any kind of interesting British animal facts you can share with us? So anything that might surprise people about the wildlife in the UK? I love the weird and wonderful. Um, yep. The stuff that no one wants to learn about and see. But you need, basically, <laughs> sometimes I go into these pitches um, for a show or a film and I'm like right mm. hear me out uh, okay. here's this weird and wonderful species and this happened with um, the one show it's actually out now it's a BBC one show film on lamprey do you know mm-hmm. what lamprey are nope no right sorry I haven't seen the film as well, well. <laughs> I, should, I should be nodding well. along like hmm yeah 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 <laughs> Interesting fact. Um, we have three species of lamprey here in the UK, brook 
river and sea lamprey, and they're prehistoric migrating jawless fish. And they look like eels, but if you were to look up a picture of their faces, they basically have a round disc of a of a mouth, right? Like with rows and rows of teeth. These kind of these pointy little structures, which are teeth, which they use to cling on to prey, and then they basically bore a hole in the side of species like basking sharks, and um, and like drink drink their blood essentially. Um, but they live in our rivers. Sound, sound lovely. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but what's great is they're millions of years old, unchanged, because they're so highly evolved and well adapted. Unfortunately, mm. they're, they're critically endangered. And that's because of the health of our rivers, unfortunately. Right. However, they are phenomenal indicators about a healthy river ecosystem. We, we've mm. had them in our rivers for, for so many, you know, millions of years. And they are fascinating. You know, everything about them, when you see them up close, yes, they can be a little bit um, gross looking, I think, for a lot of people. <laughs> but when you start to notice how, uh, you know, how they mate, how they socialise, how they behave, um, they're also called stone lickers. So they basically uh, grab onto stones and move stones around rivers to build their little nests. They're wow. unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google yeah. it the minute we finish this podcast so I can yeah. properly see them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, good luck. You're going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that brings us on to talking about the best things to do in Great Britain. So we're now on to the best things to do. To kick things off, we're going to ask you to give us a quick fire tour of Great Britain. Okay. We're going to name a few categories and you have to suggest just one thing to do. So are you ready? I think so, yeah. Let's go. Okay, okay, let's go. <laughs> so your first question on the quick fire round is your favourite season? Autumn. Oh, and why? I think autumn is the time where you're really starting to see the most change from one mm-hmm. season to the next. Mm. It's a time where you start to see spectacles like starling memorations as you head towards winter. Uh, it's a time where I think just like the glow of the summer is kind of just like in the air. And also sometimes yeah. you get some nice, really lovely warm early autumn days. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm with you. I think autumn's pretty special. How about then, Nizzy, your best place in Britain for wildlife spotting? How how focused would you like literally a GPS like coordinate or do you want... <laughs> Like a country. <laughs> no, just the, just the place is absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, has to be Wales. Yeah. Wales. It's got to be Wales. Any, partic- any particular spot in Wales? It's going to be Scomer Island. It's got to be. <laughs> Good answer. We've already answered it as well. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, okay. And your. Um, okay. So that was your best place for wildlife spotting, but your best place to learn about wildlife. I'd say Scot. I mean, Scotland is very broad, but the west coast of Scotland, and I think mm. you're more exposed to perhaps some bigger wildlife, bigger species, some exciting species, whether it's you know big eagles or red deer. So, west coast of Scotland, lovely. How about your best place for adventure in Great Britain? The Isle of Mull, because mm-hmm. you can be up mountains uh, looking for you know any. Uh, kind of lowland birds or highland birds you can be scouting coastlines for otters uh looking to the skies for white-tailed eagles things like that so it's always an adventure on mull wonderful yeah i've heard amazing things about mull um and your favorite outdoor activity to do in great britain uh i'd say i love a good snorkel is there any particular place actually i'd say cornwall 
and mm. it has to be my favorite place to snorkel because I've, I've been there quite i mean i studied down in falmouth um it's a brilliantly vibrant coastline and you know you can be a meter to two meters off the coast uh you don't need any fancy gear and suddenly you're deep in kelp and at the right times of year in the summer you can be surrounded by um you know blooms of 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 jellyfish kind of passing you and you've got shoals of fish um it's some of the best places well it's one of the best places to see sea slugs um really vibrant vibrant colors down on the cornish coast and i had that giant jellyfish encounter in cornwall so it has to be done there. <laughs> great <laughs> excellent uh well well done that's the quick fire round done so Lizzie, for, for our listeners who are here to hear all about Great Britain, do you have any sort of like highlights, things that listeners, obviously Great Britain is vast and the landscape massively varies. Mm. Yes. But are there any highlights that you would say here are sort of a handful of things listeners shouldn't miss in the country? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, as you've already pointed out, you can have so many different types of encounters. And I yeah. think on that, the first thing to say is don't be afraid to try and explore the same environment that you may know very well in a different way. Mm. You know, I've been, um, for example, uh, as you know, Welsh proud here. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I've walked along stretches of coastline and then gone snorkeling in the same stretch and seen completely different species or, you know, explored mm. new habitats that I didn't know even existed. So I think having that kind of open mind to maybe spend an hour on the coastline sat down with a cup of tea with your yeah. pair of binoculars scanning for cetaceans, yeah. whales, porpoise can, can open your mind to somewhere you know um, or think you know. But I'd also say one of the environments, and I've I've kind of fallen into this trap, even in this podcast, I guess, is I'm very marine focused. I love the marine environment. I love Mm. the idea that we are this kind of epicenter of migrating species that use us as a pit stop or a home or a place to breed. I think that's, that's what makes this place so brilliant. But we also have some brilliant land-based um moorland upland species here as well that you can just kind of you can explore day to day on a walk um it could be it could be just like a a small lump as opposed to a massive epic mountain or you know snowdonia national park yeah, don't don't be afraid to explore the moorlands that we have here. Not only because I think and the wetlands, things like that, the the perhaps the unsung habitats that a lot of people just think is oh that's just like brown land. Do you know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Yes. Because it, because it really is integral to so many different species. I mean the wetlands that we have um, in South Wales, the Newport wetlands, mm. um, they're they're phenomenal. You know they've just. Mm become home to uh, cranes have just come back after not breeding there for hundreds of years and mm. wetlands are hugely important for, for not only for climate reasons but for species like water voles and invertebrates and all sorts I love your message which is basically you don't need to go to epic places to have epic adventures right like exactly. no matter exactly. where you are if you're just curious yeah you don't have yeah. to go to the highlands you don't have to go to you know travel all the way to Cornwall or something like that mm. there's there's lots of things and I think I think this is something that lots of people learned in in the lockdowns and stuff as well about the UK is that there's lots of things right there on your doorstep that you can kind of like find out about and you can go and see and you can explore and I guess yeah it's a hopefully it's a positive impact almost of the of the pandemic in a way that people are starting to do that 
Yeah, exactly. And I think it's constantly just having your, your mind open to the idea that you, sure, you've lived there all your life, but have you have you perhaps explored it in a slightly different way or gone maybe without your dog or maybe just yeah. sat silently in that environment and listened instead of looked out for, for bird species, etc. So, yeah. 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 You, can't, cool. you can't help but see bird species when I'm out with my dog at the minute. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> and uh, are there any kind of like um, particular best kept secrets that listeners may not know about in Great Britain that you would be happy to kind of share today? I mean, the first thing I want to do when I come across something is, is share it. So the idea that you know, <laughs> there are places where... Yeah. People are like, this is mine and only I can photograph uh, this thing here. I, I, I find a bit, it's a bit alien to me. But um, I would say there's a fantastic hide uh, actually near the Newport wetlands that I, that I spoke about where mm. there is this uh, barn owl. And I remember I, I'd heard about it through other people, other friends and photographers and just birders who want to explore this hide. Um, and I, I went one day and I'll have to give you the official name of, I think it's RSPB owned. Hmm. But if anyone wants a good encounter of a barn owl, you have to go there. Uh, on the right day with the, with the right weather, the the owl has this like almost like regimented routine um, yeah. where it will kind of leave its, uh, leave its roost and then we'll start to hunt at dusk. And you've got this beautiful light and you can literally have a barn owl silently fly past your hide, you know, 10 metres or less in front of you. Oh, wow. And um, it was one of my most magical moments, not because, of, you know, it was my my encounter and my secret, but because <laughs> of that kind of local knowledge and wanting to share it with others. And it was on my doorstep. And yeah, it's just something fabulous. The other best kept secret, which I'd say again, it's not a secret, but uh, it's a, for a really good reason, is... Um, at Hamwall in Somerset, that's mm. one of the best okay. places to see a starling memoration in my mind. Everyone goes there, but there's a really lovely community feel when you do go because there's, you know, tens of 20, 30 other people there. Yeah. And they all, you can see lots there. You can um, uh, see some harriers there. And uh, I think they've started nesting in bigger numbers recently, but huge memorations uh, of starlings, which is a fabulous time to see between November and February to March. What else? There's a very... It was in the Peak District. There is a field... Right, I'll find out the name of the, of the stretch. This wall of rocks that everyone goes to to climb on. And uh, I only bumped into this because I was there to, to film something else completely random. And there's a farmer there that's basically left one field untreated. And they ha- he has lapwing that mm. nest and breed mm. on this field. So you're right by Main Road, you're right by this huge kind of rock wall where all these climbers are doing their thing. And then yeah. you've got the sound of lapwing and they've got this really elaborate courtship uh, flight and dance in the air. They'll just kind of be calling in this really weird alien wow. call right next to you. And it's phenomenal. Wow. They're oh, beautiful wow. birds. Whilst we're on the topic of birds, actually, Lizzie, while I've got you, I one of my bucket list things is to see puffins. Yeah. Where and when should I be going to see puffins okay Scoma Island as we've started <laughs> <laughs> obviously but, there you go. Uh, in Great Britain you've got um in Scotland you've got a few sites where puffins come back to nest um down okay. in Wales uh, North Wales as well Ramsey yeah. Island is a good place to see them um they'll be arriving in early well late spring early summer 
So yeah. from about May, June, you'll start to get like bigger numbers coming into breed. Saying that, uh, recently there's been a bit of a shift in when the first puffins start to arrive. So I believe last year the first puffin to arrive was like January, which is very Oh, unusual. blimey. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll be there until end of July, beginning of August. Awesome. Thank you. I might, I might be wrong here, but sort of speaking up from my home area of the northeast as well, um, uh, like Holy Island and stuff up, up in Lindisfarne is like quite famous for that yes. as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thing is, I'm I'm a West I'm a West girl, so unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm going to be speaking a lot about the West, but big up the East as well. Also, Bempton Cliffs. Saying that Bempton Cliffs on uh, northeast of England is mm. okay. a yeah fantastic place to see. I think they still have a the albatross there, the individual black-browed albatross. Cool. And the gannets there. Great place to see birds. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Represent the northeast. <laughs> I've got one more, which I just want to add in there. Go for it, go yeah, for it. Yeah, go for it, Lizzie, yeah. Sharks, right? You can see okay. them on yes. snorkel, small-spotted cat sharks. We've got angel sharks in Wales, which are critically endangered. It's really hard to see. But you've got lots of smaller species. Saying that, if you love sharks and want to have that... Uh, face-to-face encounter you absolutely can you know I've seen three species of shark in one day off the coast of Wales there's a stretch of water between Ireland and Wales called the Celtic Deep and it's this continent well it's a shelf of uh, drop down to 100 meters and you can see blue sharks in late summer coming to these stretches of water Uh, poor beagle sharks thresher sharks basking sharks so if you fancy a face-to-face snorkel with a shark just head out there amazing amazing thank you and importantly then are there any sort of wildlife conservation projects that you want to give a shout out to and you you know you've hit on sort of some endangered species etc are there any any shout outs yes um and this is inspired by a gentleman who i who did a video for me ages ago his name's elliot and he works i think he works for the london wildlife trust they Mm. have a water vol project I love water voles. They are phenomenal and they're in huge decline. The number of threats, uh, pollution, urbanisation, all mm. of that. So check out their water bowl project. I think that's part of the London, yeah, London Wildlife Trust. The RSPB have a curlew recovery programme uh, as well, uh, which, you know, curlew are a phenomenal uh, wading bird. I'm sure all of you have heard of curlew or seen them maybe in a mud flat feeding. They are a beautiful bird. So, mm. yeah, shout out to their project as well. Um, Welsh Wildlife Trust as well. Um, South Wales, okay, they're doing some really brilliant work, obviously, on my doorstep. So I have to give them a bit of a shout <laughs> out. But they are responsible for a number of kind of um, marine planning campaigns and projects. And, and just, yeah, they're a really fantastic team. Um, who else? Uh, this is a bit of a rogue one, but I'm going okay. to mention it because there's a bearded vulture project, which um, is actually based in, in Europe. But I don't know if any of you heard of that individual bearded vulture that came over to the peaks a few years ago. No, no. Well, yeah, there's a, if you don't know what a bearded vulture is, again, a really charismatic bird. They're phenomenal. They have this kind of amazing fiery crest and bright 
red-ringed eye. They're a wonderful bird. And there was a young uh, bird called Vigo who actually uh, flew. He was a young male. So in that period, the first few years of life where perhaps that movement is a bit bigger, you know, Mm. not looking to breed, just looking for food and foraging. They came over to the peaks. Loads of people went, of course, had to go. And uh, it was brilliant because uh, everyone kind of rallied together to learn about who this individual was. And it was kind of, Mm. I think it represents... That whole experience represents uh, lots of important things. The main thing here being that, okay, you may have a UK organisation that's protecting a species, but mm. as soon as that species leaves the UK, like puffins, like like bearded vultures, you know, they then go off and migrate elsewhere. And yeah. so, thinking about conservation yes. by like a country by country base is not, I guess, the way to go. We need to have a, that global perspective on mm. on conservation. So, yeah, yeah. Love that message. Thank you, Lizzie. As you say, we're a passing point for so many animals yeah. as well that actually like thinking internationally is, is really, yeah. really important. Um, okay, cool. So uh, next we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sort of the present and the future of Great Britain. From the jagged peaks of the Scottish Highlands and the towering sea cliffs of Pembrokeshire to the desolate moors of the Peak District and the sweeping sands of Norfolk and Northumberland, Great Britain offers miles of spectacular terrain to explore. Your DK Eyewitness Great Britain guidebook ensures you experience all that the country has to offer. Available wherever you get your books or find it via the link in our episode bio. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, we touched on it a little bit before but during the pandemic a lot of people rediscovered Great Britain and gained a newfound appreciation for the country is that kind of an experience that you can relate to for sure yeah I for the first time was in one place for an extended period of time which Mm. was a real blessing and um, I'm not diminishing the the gravity of the situation over over um, over lockdown I myself went through huge kind of you know uh mental stresses and strains but that's why I think that was my real kind of corner of peace and Mm. so important for my well-being it was uh, I was actually had to live with my auntie uh, because the rest of my family were shielding it was just the best place for me and on the back Mm. of her house she had an abandoned farmer's field and it was amazing it was like a playground (laughs) yeah it was where is this so this is on the outskirts of Cardiff Mm. 
Okay. And, um, you know, it's nothing special. If you look in the field, you're just like, it's just a field. But all of a sudden, you know, we had it for however many months I was there. We set up camera traps around the field. We'd be going out at night time, listening for owl species, dissecting owl pellets. There was badger latrines everywhere. There was, like, digging of foxes. You could see this uh, incremental change week by mm. week, month by month, you know, of, of the landscape, the, f- the the flowers coming into bloom, the changing of the seasons, the pollinators, yeah. the, the trees transforming. It was it was my little corner of peace. And yeah. it really kind of was quite a humbling thing to be brought back to, I guess, the present and, and my home, really. So, yeah, very lucky to be there. And actually, if you were just, like, quite near Cardiff as well, there was, there was lots of, like, kind of people talking during the pandemic about, you know, the impact we have as humans on nature and, like, kind of how it felt like nature was kind of returning and healing. I, I was in, like, sort of... Uh, sort of uh, towards central London uh, for most of the pandemic and actually you could see way more birds you could see maybe it's because yeah. it was quieter and we could look and, and see and see and find more but they just felt like there was you know nature was a bit more alive than it than it usually is absolutely yeah and of course there was the stories of the the Welsh mountain goats do you see that going in the Snowdonia town um, no tell us about it oh yes. but well, yes but right. go on Lizzie yeah well, there's a whole story behind this, but basically it inspired me to then like go chasing mountain goats on numerous shoots after that. But essentially, <laughs> in lockdown, because of the lack of people, they, they we have these, um, they're feral, so they're mm. not introduced, but they're not wild, but they're kind of, they just live in the mountains uh, foraging. Mm. And they push just further down because they could, you know, less disturbance, etc., etc. Mm. So they were like going around the villages and streets and whatever, and that kind of caught the the media's attention caught my attention I thought I know nothing about these goats so of course I went into uh, uh, BBC Wales and that was my pitch I want to do goats and they were like oh god here we go (laughs) so um go on then all right so I'm like right let's get get up at dawn with the cameras and like go and see the goats and um we met this fabulous couple who spend every weekend um going up to to see these these incredible mountain goats that are literally um traversing and and moving in this really quite dangerous environment you know old slate mines Mm. it's like rainy Mm. it's so slippery um it's it's really you know like steep mountainous harsh uh kind of barren environments Mm. and and you get these images of these goats just like living their lives and it's just amazing anyway that's my story about goats love it It's the first time we've had feral mountain goats on the podcast. I'm glad we have. Probably the last. <laughs> you never know. You never no, know. No, you never know. Exactly. <laughs> Things can turn up uh, occasionally. So in this season, Lizzie, we're asking our guests whether they can share tips on how travellers can explore more responsibly. So do you have any advice for listeners as they travel around Great Britain, how they can be responsible as they travel? Yeah, it's a great point. And again, I've mentioned it already, but it's a real thorn in my side because travel is such mm. important an important part of my my work and that's very yeah. much um translated across the uk as well you know we could be pinging all sorts of places across the uk in kind of tucked away corners where transport is quite limited yeah. um mm. so i've been kind of battling with charging stations over the past year to two years trying mm. to figure out how how to plan, uh, you know, to some of these more kind of remote areas. And the reality Mm. is we're we're slowly getting there, but um, 
charging stations, we need more of them. Um, we need them to be more accessible and faster charging and all of these things. So yep. it's not the, the the golden goose, you know, it's not the end point, uh, I don't think. I think there's still so many different ways that you can explore um, these wild spaces across the UK without, you know, having to have a, a, a really expensive uh, electric car right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to get that in there because I don't think anyone's, everyone's in a position to to have an electric car right now you're absolutely right yeah no and i think i think i think there's other countries around the world have like kind of have that infrastructure now and actually i think in the uk it's very i don't know it's not quite there yet really. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's not yeah no. no but i mean um so to give you an example like shetland far-flung island <laughs> mm. and yeah. um i made a point that you know every time i go to shetland I, i'm not going to fly i mean i i I'm quite strict on not flying across the UK in any way, shape or form, because you don't have to. Mm. There's ways of getting there. But to get to Shetland, it's like a nine hour train journey, uh, which you just do. And then it's a overnight slash middle of the night ferry for however many hours, 12 hours. And then you arrive and then you have to either hire a car or get on a bike and endure like a week of rain. So it's yeah. like, it's mm. not easy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I've always gone to Shetland by, by car um, and by ferry because that, that that's a small price to pay. But I think perhaps a way of um, making travel more easy on you is like make sure you, you put in the time for planning and mm. routes that perhaps are just a bit more exciting or may offer mm. something more than just like getting from A to B. Like you're driving down these motorways and you're not going to see a lot. You may see some red kites or or whatever buzzards above you. But what about splitting up your journey, that nine hour journey? You could stop off in some of Britain's most beautiful natural sites um, and make a make a bit of a journey of it. I think the reality of... of um, traveling more sustainably at the minute and more responsibly is it's going to take longer it may not yeah. be mm. as as fun <laughs> um and yeah it 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 actually i don't know in terms of price point but um it may not always be the most accessible either because sometimes a cheap flight up to scotland is the best is the best way but it's it's really up to you as an individual to not feel too much pressure that you have to do it, you know, you have to not fly, um, but you have to make it work for you. And uh, obviously that's very subjective. So it's, it's a bit mm. of a wafty answer, but I, I think there's a real push on people to not fly ever and to, you know, have to do the right thing, but you don't know people's circumstance. And yeah. if you're able to adapt your journey and you have that flexibility, do it. Uh, it's something that I mm. try and do when I'm traveling around, but um, it's, a t- it's a real tricky one. <laughs> I think it's 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 kind of almost a point in the in the UK that slow travel can almost be a necessity in terms of our transport is pretty slow. <laughs> yeah, uh, bus routes can be all over the place, etc. But I, I think you make a really good point in terms of like breaking up those routes, yeah. trying to see mm. something else. Um, you know, if you're kind of like rather than driving for six hours, like find somewhere nice that's in between yeah. that, that can that can make a bit of a difference. Um, yeah. And you can see something completely new um, because it's not just our kind of wildlife, but our whole sort of countryside changes constantly mm, yes. as you kind of move through yeah. it. And actually there's something totally different to see. And season to season as well, right? Like, you know, our landscape completely changes between spring and autumn alone. So, mm. um, yeah. yeah. 
It's a, I would also love to see more charging points in places of natural beauty. So you can then just like go for a walk for an hour instead of being sat in a pub car park or yeah. something. Yeah. Which, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something I try and do. So like, it's really silly, but I'll have like all my running stuff, say, or my trail kit or whatever, just in the boot. And then if I have to charge my car, I'll just like go for a little local run or whatever. Cause you're just killing time. Um, yeah. But sometimes it's just like around a pub and nobody yeah. wants that. Yeah, <laughs> some people might want that. Probably not recommended to. Yeah, not running and, and drive. drinking. <laughs> yeah. um, and in terms of sort of like uh, I don't know, kind of the near future as well, and in, in this year, is there any any particular kind of moments you're looking forward to in Great Britain across across 2023, or or particular kind of I don't know, they can be wildlife, they can be organised events, etc. Anything that that's on the horizon that listeners might be interested in. Well, there's a brand new series coming out on BBC called Wild Isles. Yes. Yes. Um, Which is, I think, a really important moment for Blue Chip. So, you know, non-presenter, obviously, Sir David Attenborough is narrating it, but it's pure natural history content at a high level. And, you know, I was up in Shetland when the guys were filming uh, the orcas hunting and, you know, just some of the colleagues who've worked on that project I know it's going to be really spectacular so in terms of things to kind of uh educate yourself on or you know open your mind about what we have here it is going to be Mm, epic absolutely well that I think that is the perfect message to end this podcast on Um, so you know conclusion just get out there get see out it. There, <laughs> do <guys>. it <laughs> uh but thank you so much lizzie you've been a wonderful wonderful guest and, and really 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 interesting ways of like looking at travel within great britain i'm sure our listeners will find a lot of a lot of inspiration so thank you so much so lucy what do you think of that episode oh i loved it i absolutely loved it lizzie just really her passion is so infectious Mm. even if you're you know if you haven't done any of those amazing experiences you feel like you're there with her and her passion it's just she's infectious isn't she like just her enthusiasm and love for it and i'm i want to get out there now i want to go see the puffins (laughs) yes 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 we uh i mean we uh we crossed the whole country pretty much totally as we said at the start of the episode wildlife kind of came alive a little bit in the pandemic but there's so much impetus now to just go out and see more of great britain yeah and we can travel more now which is one Wonderful, yes. and we shouldn't stop doing that although as we've discussed we're trying to do it sort of more responsibly more consciously but if you're a british listener don't stop exploring great britain absolutely and if you're not british come over here and see something a little bit different as <laughs> yeah, well so exactly. um you know there, there is a lot to this country and i think it was a really wonderful celebration of that and i think uh just as you say lizzie's energy is just infectious yeah and if you listeners if you want to kind of like follow up with that like find out a bit more about lizzie i mean just google her she's everywhere um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can go on lizzydaily.com or she's on Instagram and Twitter at uh, lizzydailywild or you can find her on YouTube at lizzydailywildlifetv. So Lucy, where are we going next? Actually got a very cool episode next time. We've got a podcast first. Yeah. I'm not going to say yes. why it's a first, but I will say we're off to Norway. Yes. So we're hopping sort of over the sea northwards yeah. <laughs> i guess but i'm really really excited for this i mean everyone's got their imagined version of what norway would be yeah. and i know yeah i know what the surprise is i'm not going to ruin it for you listeners but we have some people who have like really special access to some of some of those amazing amazing sites of norway so i'm really really looking forward to that we've got that in a fortnight's time so do join us then and until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and we shall see you very soon 
Where to Go is a podcast from DK Witness. It was produced by Julia Baker, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson with the help of Bella Talbot. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And please like and follow the show. And if you have time, leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 